I'm Jared Bias, and this is How to Disagree, a mini-series based on my book, Love Matters More, where we explore the question, how do we love people well when we disagree about important things? Welcome, everyone, to this episode. Today's question, how do we love well when we disagree about religion? Maybe you can relate. This is, of course, a topic very near and dear to my heart. I certainly have family members that I don't agree with about religion. I'm talking to Daly and David, a father-daughter duo. David's a conservative Christian. Daly is a progressive Christian. And I hope you're ready, y'all. This couple made me tear up a few times. You can just tell they are really wrestling with how to love each other. That's a commitment they've made even when they don't understand each other. And so that's kind of what I want to highlight about this conversation is that it's messy. Daly and David don't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly, but they keep on trying. And that's commendable and it's honorable and I really appreciate it. They are committed to the process, committed to each other. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. First of all, you know, uh, Daly's the one that got this going and she said, Dad, would you like to do this? I said, well, Daly, I... A full disclosure, I think we don't do this as great as maybe somebody who would be somebody saying this is how to do it. And so, but we do it and and we continue to be with each other. And uh, so full disclosure on that. Uh, I'm a family physician. And so as a family physician, I you know have 25 discourses on a, a daily basis with patients who love me and patients who don't love me. And so <laughs> Uh, patients who are dealing with anger issues on their own or depression or whatever. So it's something that I do on a regular basis. And and I realize that there are people that like me and people who don't. And I learned to deal with that. But it's a different thing when you talk about your kids who that you've raised and you want them to be like you. And they're not like you in some ways. And that's uh, difficult. And those are the sort of discussions that we've had that... Uh, we've tried to be able to talk about and uh it's not been easy but we've gotten through it and uh he also wanted you to know that it, this was my idea for us to come on here and it wasn't his idea <laughs> Duly noted. it doesn't matter but yes he knows duly noted yeah no i think that's yeah that's great and you kind of jumped right in david with some some great stuff but maybe daily can maybe from your perspective kind of just that setup of you yeah. know so I'm I'm a director of a local resettlement agency here in the Central Valley in California. Um, I've been in Tennessee for about 15 years. And so that's kind of how we've started to have these conversations. Um, me and my siblings, my older brother, younger sister, decided we all wanted to move back home. Mom and dad's house was kind of like a halfway house. We all lived there for a time while we found a house. And so my brother went first, then I did, and then my sister just moved from Nashville and they just bought a house. So they're literally moving this weekend. And so that's kind of been the setup of living under the same roof. They're watching us parent. Things come up because you're living together. And so that kind of was the impetus for how we started having all these conversations. And so he's had conversations like that with my brother. He's now had those conversations with my sister. When I came to him with this idea, he said, why on earth would they want us to talk? We don't do this well. And I'm like, you don't know comparatively to the rest of my generation and their parents, we do this very well. And and this is rare that we can have conversations and validate the other's experience. So he, he doesn't understand that it's rare. And I think that that's a really good perspective. Like we need his perspective. It's really hard, but like you said, like we need more of, we need to learn how to do it. Yeah, there's something too that can be really powerful about feeling not alone and not doing it really well. 
of just like, oh, good, we're not just broken as a family because we can't have these really tough discussions and be really civil about it. And so I think that's that's an important part. That, and then when I say being open about it, I, you know, you you said it so well, David. Like that's what I mean is like this is fumbling along. I think we're all kind of fumbling along here. And so, yeah, if I wanted to know the squeaky clean answers, we'd just talk to, which I have, like a communication expert, right? But that's not that's not the real messiness of actually being in a family and having to talk about this stuff. So, well, but can we just jump right in? And, and I, what I want to ask is, you know, if you can, you said when we have these talks, what are those topics that you feel like are the most contentious or hard for you guys to have conversations about because you feel so strongly about them? You know, it's not just opinions that we can have over the dinner table when we just in one ear and out the other, but it, it really affects us emotionally. Do <laughs> you want to go or you want me to go? Sure, I can go. I mean, because it may not just be typical of us. It's generational. You know, religion's important to me. And uh, maybe being conservative religiously and, and maybe she not having some views that I have conservatively. The one that we've had recently is, you know, the old discussion of I'm a racist. No, I'm not a racist. You know, black persons are my best friend. All that things I could tell her, but she still says I'm a racist. And so getting through that conversation of, well, you need to be an anti-racist or, you know, whatever we go through. Those discussions we have, uh, and we've gotten through those, and we've learned how to do it. And so some of the ways that we've we learned how to do it, we could get into that right now. If you yeah, just wait, hold on one second. I want to hear, Daly, how would you position that? And then let's talk about some of these practices that you've developed over time. Well, I think... A common theme has been me thinking I'm very enlightened and then just coming to these conversations thinking I'm just going to like blow his mind with all of this new information that he's never heard before, which I have a six-year-old who now tells me, mommy, I know that. I know that already. And so I'm like, oh, this is what that is. I feel it. I understand. Um, But it's hard because like he said, a lot of that is generational Yeah, the the racism one is hard because I think we've had so many conversations about it. I get frustrated when the same same arguments get brought up. Um, But then, I mean, even like, so we we had a pretty good discussion a while back. I'll be the first to admit that I got way too excited, probably raised my voice. This is, I think, what he was talking about when I called him racist and maybe even called him arrogant but it's I think it's that tension of and it might go back to how we view our faith of uh, mine's more probably experiential his is more you know what do I see in the scriptures um both of which are valid but it, they're, they're kind of lived out differently and so I think that's where we both get super we're so convicted about these things that it's just it can be kind of I don't know what the word is. It can, it's messy. It's messy because we're so emotionally tied up in all of this too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's imp- it's important things to you. So you are your emotions are tied to it. So before we go to walking through, I mean, it seems like you've learned by trial and error some practices that have been helpful for you. But maybe take us back to that first time. Like, do you remember one of the first times that you had a conversation where you recognized that maybe you didn't have the same beliefs? religiously like how did you awaken to that was there a particular i know with my you know i actually mentioned one of these conversations in my book um with my mom where it just was like oh we are not on the same page and we're going to have to figure out how to do this because it's either we drift apart uh or we figure out how to 
how to navigate this. So do you have one that kind of sticks in mind? I have a mind? pretty memorable, I don't know if you remember it, I'm sure you will. I think at some point when I was in grad school, you know, after college, I'd kind of just slowly started asking questions about my faith and certain things. And and at that point, this was like pre-therapy for me. <laughs> so if we tried to talk about this stuff in person, I would just end up in a bucket of tears. And so we would email each other, which I think was a good strategy. Like we've always tried to like try something new. And so we're emailing. And at this point I was in grad school, I was working at Starbucks in Southern California. And I was questioning something. I was going to like a big rocker church and questioning maybe baptism or like women in leadership, things like that. And he had written to me a sentence (laughs) that said, I just don't know how you were raised in this home and you don't know where you stand on these issues. And I think that was kind of like a, oh, you're very convicted about the issues, but I'm I'm very convicted about, well, well, my heart has never left God. I've, I've never walked away from my faith. Uh, like I said, it's very experiential. And so that was kind of a first like, oh, I think we see these things differently. But that, that's for me. I don't know about for you if it was earlier or later. Well, yeah, that was times when we uh, I, it was opened to me that, hey, we, we see differently on things. I always imagined as I raised these children that we would have this big, wonderful family where we all went to the same church and believed the same things and our grandkids did and how wonderful that would be. And then when that uh, dream became uh, not a reality, it was something that that my wife and I late at night have had many, many discussions about and coming to the reality that we're going to have to learn to accept something that's not going to be exactly how we envisioned it. So we would do these uh, emails back and forth. She would email me these three-page emails. And, you know, as a man who doesn't do that, I would get these three-page emails from her talking about her feelings, talking about whatever it is. And I try, how in the world am I ever going to respond with something more than a paragraph back to her, you know, as a man? And, uh, but that was, that was a difficult time. And I would, but, you know, that opened up to me that, you know, that things were a changing. And, uh, you know, I felt like the fitted on the roof guy, uh, you know, exactly what I felt like. So I'm glad I was very knowledgeable in that movie. And it was (laughs) trying to take it just like he is. So we learned how to discuss these issues uh, through trial and error and, uh, and come to some agreement on how we're going to live together. Because, you know, the, the, the big thing is knowing that, hey, uh, we love each other and we want our relationship to be strong. It's going to be different. It's going to be difficult. But in the end, it's going to be love that r- rules the roost. And uh, so I can go into specifics about each one of those yeah, why things. Don't we, yeah, why don't we <laughs> jump into a few of the ground rules that you've... Uh, oh, the ground rules. You know, it's funny. Because, yeah. It's funny to me because I always think of rule, whenever you see a rule, you know, I was always taught to think, oh, someone did something that made us have this rule. And so I imagine you've made these rules by needing them. Yeah, you know, the old rules are made for for people who can't think. So we think in order to make the rule. And so so it's trial and error. And so it it was an error that we made that uh, made us have certain rules. So the rules that we started off with one is that there's going to be a time limit on the discussions i don't know if we've actually done the time limit thing yet but it's but a good we, idea but you know, mother will come in and say you guys need to stop you know there's many times that she's done that we've learned that hey we've got to have a time limit and we really try to 
make sure that it doesn't go on and on because it could. And so setting a time limit is extremely important. And then um, no raising of the voice. There's no, voices are not allowed to be raised. Uh, so time limits, uh, no anger, and there, the realization that there are some people that just don't like doing this. My son is not somebody who likes doing this. And so when they're in the room, it, it, it's not right. It's not right to have them have to sit there and be through that. And we've learned that uh, the hard way too, is he's made it very clear that he doesn't want to be around when, when these discussions like this are happening because it, you know, it's, it's evoking emotions which are just not good for them. Well, and I think what we've had to learn, and even uh, Leslie, my younger sister, the, there's a big mix of personalities in the family and, and people have different thresholds for conflict. We can do this all day long because it, we kind of, you know, it's kind of sparring. It's, it's debating, you know, it's, it doesn't affect us the way it affects other family members. And after this last discussion, we kind of got called out by my brother, both of us of like, hey, it kind of sucked the energy out of the room. When we're at mom and dad's on the weekends, it's kind of this respite and it's just kind of awkward for everybody else. I don't know if you, I think you know the Enneagram. There's a bunch of nines in our family. And so like conflict happens and they just like run away. And so I think from that, what we said, I, I told my brother, you know, that's absolutely valid. So if we have these conversations next time, maybe we'll go outside because we can still have these conversations. And again, you know, not letting them drag out for an hour or whatever. But it's funny, like even my kids, my nieces and nephews, they'll be like, what are, what's grandpa talking about? They can even, even if we're being super civil, they can pick up on the tension. And so I think it is important to kind of honor everybody else. But also, you know, like we get to have these conversations too, but just be respectful of other people. Right, right. And that's great. I mean, it sounds like everybody being aware of how this is impacting everyone else and making sure that it is not over that threshold, as you as you said. And once we finish a discussion, remember these things, uh, you don't really change people's minds by having these discussions. You know, she's not convinced me that I'm a racist and I've not con convinced her or whatever. You know, we don't come to magical conclusions in these discussions. So you come to a, con a finish and then we hug. <laughs> well, and then I need to tell him what Leslie now makes right, you do. Gonna, yeah, I that was, was going to say. That. And my other daughter, we make sure that somebody says something positive about the other person's view at the ending of it. So she'll say something that she's heard positive from me, and I'll say something that I've heard positive from her. And then hug, and it's over. So that's kind of how we do it. I think something that's important to, you know, he just said, no one's going to change the other person's mind. And that's so true. So true. And even in your book, I, I read it, but it's been about a year. Um, I think toward the end, you do give some practical advice of, you know, listen, if we're having these conversations and the other person isn't getting the feeling that they that they're loved by you, what's the point? You know, and so preface the conversation with that so that that's in the forefront of people's minds. But about the not changing somebody's mind. I honestly don't care about changing his mind. What has been so um, healing for me has been the times when he, I can tell he's listening to try to understand. He's not gonna agree with me. He doesn't agree with me. And he, the experiences that I've had with church 
he hadn't he hasn't experienced church that way but when he can say okay I, that wasn't my experience in the church but i can i can validate that experience just that is so powerful and it i think just feeling like you're being listened to is maybe the majority of it can i ask a follow up to that daily what is it about that that feels so fulfilling and satisfying for you Uh, maybe it's the difference between somebody being dismissive because you're saying like i'm pouring my heart out to you i'm saying this was my experience and this other person is saying well that wasn't my experience and that's really hard when you guys experienced the same things but you came away with different conclusions Mm -hmm. but for someone to just say i believe you i that wasn't my experience but i believe you and I'm gonna keep asking questions even if I don't understand. And I think that when when we moved back, when I started having these conversations with him, I was so grateful, so, so, so grateful that we could talk about it, that he was, I could tell he was trying to understand. I wasn't trying to get him to agree with me, but he was listening. That has worked wonders. Right, but it, it, like to to feel even in the midst of disagreement, like you are cared about, and that you're honored and respected. Right, which we have not always done well, but. <laughs> but there was ne- there was never anger. Well, I think there, there's we were angry, but we but weren't. There was emotions which right. were not positive, and which you know don't feel good afterwards, but. There's enough positivity, enough listening, enough caring to help out that situation. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't override it, everything. I no. mean, you still have some feelings when you go to bed. Oh, I wish I could have said this. And that made me feel, didn't make me feel good when she said that. But at the end, you're able to say, well, we discuss things. We care about each other. We listened. We had some positive things to say. And... There you go. I always come back to the first time I ever saw a therapist, <laughs> but she said, in terms of these conversations or having issues with family members, she said two things that I've never forgotten. This was six years ago. Grieve for what you'll never have and then radically accept what you do have. And so for me and with us, that looks like, you know, my dad and all his siblings all went to the same church, still go to the same church. And so for holidays, they got to go to church together. And it was just, it's its this awesome experience. And he rightfully like dreamed about us doing the same thing and that that's not the reality. And that that sucks. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to say it. That does, that's, that's really hard. And so I think that it's acknowledging like, that makes me sad too. That's not, this isn't how I planned it either. Um, but then the next step being, radically accept what we do have. And and our family, we talk about it or we try to talk about it a lot. We're so lucky. Like your kids love each other enough that they moved from all over the country back to their podunk hometown so that we could raise our kids together and that we could have Friday night pizza nights every weekend. You know, that's rare. And to then radically or hold on to what we do have also kind of changes the perspective because then you're focusing on, okay, well, what are all the good things we have? We may not have this one thing, 
but we do have a really lo- a lot of good things. Yeah. So if I can go back to something you said, you know, that you're not going to change each other's mind. So if if the goal or the purpose isn't to try and convince each other, why do you step into the conversation? It, when you when you do have the conversations, what are you hoping to accomplish or do? Like, what's the purpose of those conversations then? Well, I didn't. I guess I didn't say that I wasn't hoping to change your mind. <laughs> We have discussions so they can see how we see things, and then there is some hope that over time that things will change. You know, that when you're young, if you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart, and if you're old and don't, not a conservative, you don't have a brain, that sort of thing. So you're hoping you're moving them through this liberal to conservative side uh, softly. Uh, but you know that's probably not going to happen. But there is some hope. And, and in these discussions, I mean, that's how people go about changing their mind uh, is with discussion and and discussion that's civil. You know, in this day and age, it's not seen very much, but uh, civil conversation and then people seeing a different side does change people's minds sometimes. Yeah, I often, so, you know, in my, my work, I work with family businesses. And a lot of times, one of the big things that I am working toward is, can you say what you want without feeling entitled to get it? And so that's kind of like being able to have that that space between I can say that this is what I want, but I don't feel entitled to it. And so I'm not emotionally invested in you needing to come to this outcome for me. So that's kind of what I hear you saying is there's Well, I am emotionally invested in it because, you know, it is does mean a a lot to me, you know, as a Mm -hmm. Christian and who's always tried to teach that that was the most important part of my life and hoping that I'm living my life in a way that they see that I'm not hypocritical in the way I live. Uh, I And having said, always showed them that that was the top priority, God first and then family, you know, that sort of thing. Um, it is, I'm emotionally invested in it, but it's still, I've learned to accept it. So there is an yeah. emotional investment. Well, and I think there. that's what you're getting at, Jared, yeah. is like how, because if this was a an opinion my PE teacher from high school held, who cares? But we are so emotionally invested. And I think that's what makes it so difficult. I would almost kind of disagree with dad (laughs) when he says, you know, civil conversation can change people's minds. I I think what's most transformational is people being loved and accepted. Mm -hmm. And, and, but that's funny and ironic because I don't always make that very clear with him because I can get so enraged. (laughs) And I think I had heard in a podcast, Hillary Hillary McBride, she was talking about this kind of topic. Because sometimes I think, especially my generation, we think, you know, we've just got to be these like social justice warriors and just, you know, tell people how it is, which is not effective. I've had to learn, you know, like if something about the LGBTQ community comes up, instead of me like getting on my pedestal and, you know, preaching my sermon, you know, and I don't know if I've actually even tried this, but just saying like, you know, I I have a lot of gay and trans friends. And if they heard you say something like that, that would be hurtful. And I know that you're not an unkind person. You have, of all people, I know you have such a good heart. And so it's, it's confusing when you say this, because this is a community of people that I really love or whatever, like coming at it from that perspective. And that's really hard for me to do in the moment. And I, I don't know if I've even actually done that. I'm not good at dropping it. <laughs> Why do you think that is? What, 
at some point when you're just, you're in it, I think it becomes more about me because then it's like all about you being, you know, fighting for justice and look at me, I've got all the right answers. And it's not like one that's going to put the other person on the defensive. What is it accomplishing as opposed to coming to a person in a loving posture and saying, hey, that's why this bothers me personally, um, as opposed to like full on just like attacking people. Yeah, it's it, one of my favorite social media moments is very similar. It's, I'm, I'm Choctaw, so I'm Native American. And, and there was some hoopla happening on social media. I don't know, the Redskins changing their name or something or some student, something. And I uh, happened upon a thread where uh, like a lot of white people are talking about this. And sort of I chime in and just say, well, this is what my family, like my family's Choctaw, this is what they think. And it wasn't the politically correct thing to say. And they sort of like jumped all over me. And I was super confused. I was like, wait, like I, I thought you would want the opinion of my family who is indigenous to be able to like speak into this. But yeah, it really was more about them and making sure that all the other people kind of watching them on this post could applaud them for standing up for things that I'm like, well, but are you actually even listening to the people you're supposed to be standing up for? Because it was, it, the irony was there were like three of us indigenous people on this thread and we were all kind of saying the same thing, but we were like not being listened to. It was just about like, saying the right things. And it was just really confusing. That just reminded me of what you're saying, where it's, it's at some point, it, it actually is not about the justice issue. It becomes about feeling good about doing the right thing or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that can be a challenge to, like, it comes back to me. What it really does is come back to like, how are we listening? Are, are right. we listening to people who have different experiences and trying to figure out how to be in community together because if the, if the answer to being in community is that we all agree, then we are barking up the wrong tree. It's, it's not going to ever happen. And so my hope is that we can kind of learn from folks like you on like, how do you, how do you be in community and just live in that tension where we're always probably going to disagree about some important things. And yet we can go to have family pizza night on and, Friday night. And sometimes night. that's meant for us holding those boundaries of, of trying not to get into those conversations every time we're together. And honestly, you know, we lived with them for nine months and I think we had three or four conversations that got kind of heated. But the majority of the time we were all hanging out and play, they were playing with the kids and we're being silly and we're asking dad about his childhood and our grandparents and, and finding topics that we both enjoy learning about. And, and I think too, so we grew up in a certain church tradition that, that I don't any longer go to that church. And that that's hurtful, understandably, to dad. And I think he can think, and he said this, you know, what did I do wrong? Or have I failed because my three children don't go to the same church that I raised them in? And I've told him a million times, I wish you didn't feel that way. I know because of therapy, I don't have any control over how he feels. He's going to feel how he feels and that's valid. I wish he didn't feel that way. And I also think I look at my brother and I look at my sister and I look at myself in the life that we've created. And I think you literally could not have done a better job. Like all of us are involved in our communities and we are good parents and partners and we love God and we are involved in church communities. And it's hard not to feel like you're responsible for your parents' feelings. At some point you have to say, I'm, I'm sorry, like I'm an adult, I have my own family. We get to make our own choices just like you did. But I, I wish you could see that you're doing an incredible job. You did an incredible job. And 
just because we've gone a different direction doesn't mean you failed somehow. Yeah, David, I'd be curious to hear your take on that in terms of, you know, is that how you've felt in the past? And have you kind of gone in any direction with that where you've come to peace with some of that? Or or is that still really well, it's a, a challenge? It's a journey. Uh, I've not met the destination now of being at total peace with that, if that's your question. But it, I'm, I'm closer to feeling good with this uh, or feeling okay with it. I'm an elder in a church, and, and there are we have people in our congregation who don't believe the same as I do, and we get along. But there comes a time when some people say, hmm, I just can't meet with you guys anymore, and I've got to go elsewhere, and I totally understand that. And But I don't ever want that to go that way with the family. I don't ever want them to say, I can't have my kids around you anymore. And my wife has threatened me with that. You know, if it ever comes to the fact that you something happens where I don't get to see my grandbabies, well, you know, there's going to be some some things to answer to. And, of course, I don't want that either. But, you know, that option is not available in a family situation, and you should never let it come to that. And we don't. We have disagreements. We know in the end, though, it's going to be we're going to be hugging. We're going to uh, see a positive side of their view and uh, go on with it. When it sounds like, David, if I'm hearing you right, and you can correct me if not, but it sounds like the the wrestling for you really is you you're wanting your kids to believe similarly to you or to hold those beliefs is because you love them. And so it's really just this tension between how these two expressions of love kind of bear out between letting you go and accepting who you are and how you are, and then still thinking that this might be a better road for you if you had these beliefs that I have. And both of those are coming from a place of love. And so that it's, it's more a difference in quantity. Conversation exactly comes up all the time. We're having these because we love each other. I don't think in the fiddler on the roof that he did that because he hated his kids. He loved his kids, and it just tore him apart. And uh, but he, I think, in the end, he learned to accept it the best way he could. Two things came to mind for mm. me. One, it's also been important for my siblings and I to remind Dad that we are on the journeys that we're on because we were given this foundation of faith from him. You know, we were part of a church growing up that were a tiny, like small but mighty group that were so different, had very little in common. So we learned this sense of community and sense of sticking it out with the community. We learned this sense of commitment to a church family. We learned, you know, we learned our Bible. We learned, you know, we have this incredible foundation of faith and that was from him. And that's why we are where we are. And that's where we differ because he doesn't quite understand that, but that's why we're involved in our communities. And that's why we feel passionate about the things we feel passionate about because you gave us this, like, this heart that like God comes first and loving people and we're all made in God's image. Like those were things we learned at a very young age. So it's not that we're walking away from anything We're we're like, it's to me, I see it as the continuation of this foundation I was given at a very young age. Um, I was going to say something else too, but now I don't remember what it was. Anyway. Well, maybe you can come back if you think of it, but I want to, as we, as we come to the end of our time, I want to just ask, you know, what's one piece of advice if you could kind of sift through all your trial and error of learning how to to fumble your way through this relationship? Um, what's one piece of advice you would have for other people who are struggling with how to be in a relationship with someone they disagree with around 
religious belief and conviction. Well, a quick synopsis is, is what we had said earlier. You know, let people know that you're listening to them. Let people know that this conversation you're going to have is going to end with love and not end our relationship. Let people know that uh, that we're, we're searching for a positive thing on this that we're going to tell at the end. That's one thing we, we always do. There's going to be hugs and that um, we care. I mean, if you got those things, we're listening, we care, we're going to look for positives. And at the end, we're going to, it's not going to end our relationship no matter what. And if we feel that that's happening, that's a quick synopsis of what we try to do. And it, it has worked. As I said, full disclosure, it's not perfect, but uh, we still talk to each other about these things and uh, we're still together. And uh, and I do see the foundational things that she's talking about. Uh, we've got to accept the things that uh, we have in common and, and in the end and be happy with that. Honestly, this sounds silly. If the resources are available to you, I would say get a therapist talk to a counselor because that was where I was able to start saying, I really want to have this kind of relationship with my dad or my brother or my mom, but we can't seem to get past this bump in the road. And and a lot of therapy is like super practical advice about how to have hard conversations or maybe when you need to kind of get over something or when maybe something's not worth bringing up or when maybe there's, let's have a boundary and actually not talk about that subject. Therapy for me was hugely helpful in navigating. And honestly, I don't know if I could have moved home without therapy because it gave me those skills, the tools in your toolbox to talk things out, when to have difficult conversations, how to have difficult conversations, how to stand up for yourself and how to remind the other person, hey, I love you. This is what's important. And I think um, this is what I was trying to remember last time, but I think it ties in. You know, he was saying, preface everything with love. The other person has to know that you care about them. He and I are not always good at like the whole love languages thing. Like we are just like two ships passing in the night. Like he, he loves me in a way that I think, you know, like you were saying like the, the platinum role in your book, right? Treat someone, don't treat someone the way they want to be treated, treat them how they've told you they want to be treated. Um, and we, we just kind of miss each other in terms of how we love each other. But I think what my sister's been able to do is they have these hard conversations. And whereas when I have a hard conversation with him, I'm like, okay, let's go, you know, get the boxing gloves out. When my sister has these conversations, She's able to see, hey, he's bringing this up because it's important to him because he cares about me. And so and then she calls it out, which I've never been able to do in the moment I can see afterwards. But to say like, oh, you're bringing up this topic that we disagree on because you love me. That's what's underneath it. You're not really going to say it, but that's what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's that's a lot of what a relationship is in a lot of ways is here's my package of how I communicate but you, you know, you may receive it in a way that could you come from a different, you've had different experiences. And so it hits you in a different way. And so it's that, you know, a little bit of compromises and a little bit of two steps forward and one step back. So, um, well, thank you both so much for being vulnerable and open about the lessons you've learned, but also that you're not perfect at it. And if you were, I would think you were a robot or something. So thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, really, really appreciate it. And, you know, well wishes on your journey as you keep disagreeing in love. Thanks, Jared. Thank you, Jared.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode. If you haven't already, please pick up a copy of the book, Love Matters More, How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus. And if you like it, rate and review it where you can online. If you don't, keep that to yourself. I don't need anyone else to speak the truth and love to me about the book. Thanks so much. 